0: Ah, you... I... I'm not sure. I know who I was when I woke up this morning, but I've changed so many times since then.
1: In Alice in Wonderland, Alice grows bigger and smaller throughout the the whole day, depending on the situation. When it comes to Samantha as a party, she also changes. One minute she's a, a poor wife in the street... Uh, then she's a young girl, all pretty and pink. And then next minute she's descended from a, a European family of aristocratic lineage, and it goes on from there. Samantha, as a party, creates her own wonderland, her whole world, which she presents to you as a, a total fabrication. You're smelling a mouse when you should be smelling a rat. She's extremely intelligent.
2: But this is my dream. I'll decide where it goes from here.
1: If you diverge from the
2: path... I make the path. From RTE Documentary and One, I'm Nicolene Greer. And I'm Sharon Davis. This is Finding Samantha. I don't need to be saved. I need to be found. Episode 5, The One That Got Away. When we last left Sharon, she was preparing for a meeting with someone called Sam Azapardi. They'd been talking online, and this woman claimed that the Samantha Azapardi we've been looking into, the con woman, has been wrongly accused. I'm talking about evidence and information that was provided that supports wrongful arrest. I would prefer to meet up in person. I would love to show you everything I have. But Sharon is wondering what she's getting herself into. Who is this person she's agreed to meet? And what is her real agenda? Hey Nick, it's a strange little world that I feel caught up in at the moment
0: and um, I don't really know where it's going and
2: where I'm going in it as well. It's just a couple of hours before the meeting and Sharon sends me another voice note. Hi Nick, I've just received a message from... Sam
0: Azapardi saying I was advised not to talk to you, I need to do what is best to keep my family and myself safe. The meeting has been cancelled, I'm not
2: surprised, I'm disappointed. We believe that Samantha Azapardi is aware of our production and that all of these messages only ever came from her. It's Samantha, playing yet another game, this time with us, trying to sow confusion. And now she's slipped away again, elusive as ever, but she's not finished playing with us yet.
0: Let's pick up where we left Samantha. It was August 2015, and she was convicted on charges related to the fraudulently obtained passport in the name of Georgia McAuliffe. She spent some time in jail and was then released on a bond on the condition that she stayed out of trouble for two years.
2: Well, Samantha didn't comply with that two-year good behaviour bond. In fact, very soon, she had latched onto some new people in Sydney. Detective Sergeant, have you
0: ever seen anyone with a profile like Samantha?
1: Never. In regards to her ability to have one scam prop up another scam, which props up another scam. It becomes like a number of spider webs superimposed upon each other.
0: This is Aaron Power. He's a New South Wales detective with 33 years in the force. He's worked on homicides, been an undercover cop, you name it, very experienced. The particular web that Samantha was going to spin was in Marrickville, Sydney. More specifically, the audacious scam that Aaron Power uncovered was at a school called the Good Shepherd School. The Good Shepherd motto is all about service, starting from Sister Mary Fraser's belief that every person is of value, but also especially to create gender
3: equality in the world so that girls and women...
2: Are in- Back in 2016, the staff at the Good Shepherd went out of their way to help their newest arrival... But they couldn't have known then what was in store for them with the new student known as Harper Hart.
1: This school was actually a school for people with, um, who were disadvantaged in some way. And this girl allegedly had a problem in reading and writing. The school said, well, if you want to become enrolled, you've got to provide identification. And this girl, who went by the name of Harper Hart, absenced herself from the school for a period of time and then returned with a United States birth certificate from the state of California and um, also obtained a doctor's certificate from a Sydney hospital which basically gave the cause for her absence.
2: This young girl was living with a local family. Incredibly, this family had just met Harper on the street listened to her story, felt sorry for her and brought her into their home to live with them and become part of their family. They believed she was 13 and in trouble but the details they and Harper Hart gave the school didn't add up.
1: There was no information or evidence on file that this foster family had permission to take her in as a foster child. Her version of events was that Uh, She was from California, from San Francisco, uh, and uh, she was on the United States Witness Protection Programme. A witness protection programme?
2: And the girl had some other worrying stories to tell.
1: She stated that she'd been subject to being sexually assaulted. She stated that she'd been raped by a New South Wales police officer.
2: But her stories had convinced the family who had taken her in.
1: The Foster family seemed to believe that she was, in fact, a, a victim of sexual assault.
0: Because they were concerned for Harper's welfare, the family told the school about these allegations, and the school then contacted the authorities.
2: And that's when Detective Aaron Power and his team were called in to solve this mystery. Soon even the FBI in the United States was involved.
1: So I contacted the FBI Liaison Officer of the United States Sydney Consular General, And I gave him a copy of the birth certificate showing that Harper Hart was born in the American city of San Francisco in the state of California. When you're starting to deal with false birth certificates, you're dealing with United States Homeland Security. They're thinking terrorists. And that's a priority. Virtually overnight, it was uh, examined and it was revealed to be a forgery. The other document we had was the medical certificate issued by a hospital. Inquiries with the hospital showed that the uh, medical certificate was a forgery, so what you need to do is find out who she really is. She was not known on any police system in Australia. She was not known by um, the New South Wales births, deaths and marriages. She was a living question mark.
0: All avenues of inquiry led nowhere until a casual conversation at the police station in Sydney where Detective Power worked... One of his colleagues had heard about an Australian girl who'd become known as the
1: GPO girl in Ireland. The photograph of Samantha as a party from her Irish escapades was on the internet. I got my field intelligence officer to go out and take some contemporaneous photographs of Harper Hart going to the Good Shepherd School, and she certainly did look like a 13 year old girl.
2: Remember, Samantha was 28 years old at this time.
1: With freckles and short pants and and the latest T-shirt and braids in her hair and all that.
2: Despite all of this information, the Foster family were still refusing to cooperate, as was Harper Hart.
1: And so we went to the Good Shepherd School where the teachers um, gave us a sample of her homework and sure enough, um, the fingerprints of Samantha as a party were all over Harper Hart's homework. And at that stage, she'd been placed into another foster home. She was now, we know, a 28 year old woman living with little kids. Uh, and on that basis, the situation had to be resolved quickly. When we arrested her, we noticed that the freckles she had on her face, making her look like a little 13 year old girl, were actually fake. They're actually drawn on by her, they were makeup.
0: What was. Her response when she
1: was arrested. She knew who we were. It was like she could smell police. She was very uh, cool and calculated. She seemed very disciplined. She had no emotional response, uh, wouldn't cooperate with police, wouldn't answer any questions, and maintained her, her right to silence. And immediately she put her back to the camera, which is in the charge room, put her hoodie up and, uh, like a boxer on the ropes, put her hands over her face. And we believed she was avoiding being photographed by the closed-circuit TV in the charge room. If you're a fraudster, one thing you don't want to do is get your photograph or your, your face known out in the community.
2: And just like many other times, the people who had tried to care for Samantha as a party were left feeling betrayed.
1: There were two people affected, um, I know. I know that her social worker, who'd been, who actually believed that she was the victim of child sexual assault, when we went in she broke down and she was she was crying and she was beside herself
0: and what about the the other teachers that yeah, had there,
1: there was one young Vietnamese Australian chap here, who for the past year had put his heart and soul in trying to teach this poor abused girl how to read and write and all of the time she was totally literate the feedback I got he felt betrayed and felt humiliated like a fool he'd been taken for a ride
2: Samantha had developed her abilities to such an extent that not only had she passed herself off as a person over half her age, it seems she had convinced her foster family beyond any doubt.
1: They are a mystery within a mystery here. Yeah, uh,
2: how do we understand that?
1: The foster parents were people who were loyal to her to the end. They still would not assist police or cooperate with police. Yes, they seem to be firm believers, true believers... ...of her version of events.
2: When Samantha went on trial in July 2017... ...she had been living with the Foster family for at least 12 months. By now, Samantha's actions over the previous 10 years across three continents... ...had cost governments and charities an estimated €1 million. Euros. In this latest trial with the Harper-Heart escapade... ...Samantha pleaded guilty to four charges of dishonestly obtaining financial advantage by deception costing the Australian state about $155,000. The legal system has always faced a
0: dilemma with Samantha. How do you deal with someone who's so skilled at lying and who seems oblivious to the consequences of her actions? For 10 years, after weighing up her offences and her mental health, the courts have been giving Samantha many second chances. Good behaviour bonds suspended prison sentences, but everyone's patience was beginning to wear thin. Nothing appeared to deter Samantha
2: from her repeated acts of fraud and deception. This time was different. Samantha was sentenced to 12 months in jail. Her mother had actually attended that trial in 2017, one of the very few times she publicly supported her daughter, Outside the court, Samantha's mother described Samantha's situation as heartbreaking, that she wanted to get help for her and spoke of her daughter as a sweet, adventurous and independent child growing up. Five months into her jail term, Samantha appealed her sentence.
3: Yeah, uh, Paul Conlon, judge of the district court in New South Wales. 2017, I was the presiding judge over what they call the list court. She appeared before me on the 30th of October 2017 uh, in respect of four charges, identical, uh, dishonestly obtaining financial advantage by deception. The magistrate imposed what we call an aggregate term of imprisonment, one of 12 months with a non-prol period of six months. So it came before me because she appealed against the severity of those sentences. The court was provided with a background history of... Consistent or habitual identity fraud offences.
0: To help in his deliberations, Judge Conlon was provided with a report from a psychiatrist who'd met with Samantha, which we've been granted access to. His words are read by an actor.
4: I stressed to her that my responsibility was to the court and that what we discussed would not be confidential. In my opinion, Ms. Azapati understood the warning and allowed the assessment to proceed. Well, the psychiatrist
3: went and uh, provided uh, background history, but it was fairly um, instructive uh, in my view.
4: From the very beginning of this interview, Ms. Azapati proved a difficult historian. She laughed off my attempts to clarify her first name as Samantha and eventually told me it was Lindsay? She claimed she is now 29 years old. Ms. Azapati presented as a slim young woman who appeared in her mid-twenties with long, partly dyed blonde hair pulled up into a ponytail. She was wearing rudimentary jewellery and long sleeves and clean prison greens. Her hands were clean and her nails were short. She appeared emotionally regressed, often childlike and frequently on the verge of tears, or was openly crying. She was an extremely guarded historian who often dismissed questions with a shrug of the shoulder and silence. As the interview progressed, she made revealing remarks that she'd like to see a psychologist...
2: ...to fix myself. What Judge Conlan was looking at was whether Samantha was legally viewed as having a mental health disorder that would affect her criminal behaviour and in turn her sentencing before the
4: court. She admitted she's often experienced prolonged episodes of symptoms suggestive of dissociation. She told me at these times she feels like she's in a dream state, still able to function and do things, but afterwards unable to recall her behaviour. Ms Azapati's account of her personal history was an unreliable one. She said she has considerable difficulties with literacy and numeracy.
2: The report stated that Samantha's claimed deficits in memory, literacy and numeracy were also inconsistent and implausible.
3: If one was looking for some diagnosed mental health disorder in order to be able to ameliorate the objective seriousness of her criminal offending, then it was not to be found in the psychiatrist's report, uh, but uh, of more significance, in this resentencing exercise was the fact that he went on to say that there was no indication on his assessment, on Ms Azapardi that she was suffering from a psychotic illness such as schizophrenia or from a major depressive illness or other severe mood disorder. So it was a personality disorder and uh, what was clear to me is that she had... Well, her lies and her deception over a long period of time were of an extraordinary magnitude. The
2: forensic psychiatric report on Samantha also noted...
4: She also remarked upon her many aliases. She then told me...
0: I must have made them up.
4: Having spoken of these experiences, she then abruptly asked me if the interview was finished and asked to leave. And the report concluded... I consider her presentation as most consistent with a personality disorder with borderline features including a remarkably unstable sense of self or sense of identity, a tendency to dissociate when exposed to stress or anxiety, and an inability to manage even mild anxiety, with resorting to maladaptive coping strategies.
2: Samantha's diagnosis in this case was of a borderline personality disorder. And we'll be diving deeper into what this and other diagnoses mean later on in the series. With this information at his fingertips,
0: Judge Conlin had to make a difficult decision. Was the magistrate who sentenced Samantha correct or being too harsh? Was prison the right place for someone with her mental condition?
3: On my reading of all of this and taking into account what was put in the psychiatric report, Clearly, there was no inability on her part to recognise the difference between right and wrong. Clearly, she knew that her conduct was wrong. But nevertheless, uh, she had this propensity uh, to be able to deceive and lie and do it in a quite extraordinary way. Uh, She was able to bring people into her confidence to be able to um, produce uh, stories which she was able to back up with fabricated documentation. Uh, So it was really um, behaviour which had an incredible intent and I would say malevolence behind it. You look at the psychological impact on those people who were bending over backwards to help her, uh, so well-intentioned, and uh, people who were no doubt probably a little distraught at the horrible tales of woe that she was able to spin them, that she was, uh, you know, a victim of human trafficking and sexual assaults, which never, ever occurred. That There comes a time when the courts have to say, well, enough is enough. You want to continue to commit this type of fraud. Well, then, is there any uh, punishment other than imprisonment that is appropriate? the magistrate held there wasn't and uh, i was also of that view given all of the circumstances and given the background history
2: in his written judgment on samantha's appeal judge conlan concluded it is disturbing in the extreme that at 29 years of age she still attempts to pass herself off as an adolescent samantha lost her appeal and remained in jail until december of 2017 it's clear now that Samantha puts much time, effort and intelligence into her modus operandi, or MO. No one knows this better than Detective Aaron Power. He's noticed that Samantha's tactics are similar to those used by undercover police and spies.
1: She remembers the lies she's told. She remembers her backstory. She studies her backstory. She's a method actor. She'll have the props that painted on freckles and what have you. So um, she will look the part and... Um, That sells her.
2: Detective Power also believes that Samantha creates conditions that allow her to deflect from doing things she doesn't want to do.
1: If you want to control an environment, you create a handicap. This is something she does. So as soon as she was in custody, she asked for a meal. She was provided with a meal and then she went into a spasm alleging she had an allergic reaction. That allows her to be taken to the hospital and not photographed and not fingerprinted, um, thereby evading any other further attempts of police to to speak to her. I think her um, ability to use one witness or victim from one offence to prop up her bona fides for another offence is quite ingenious. Her uh, her ability to be nonplussed when she's confronted, her ability to maintain discipline and not ever make an admission. When you put all that together, there's a a great amount of uh, resilience there, a great amount, amount of forethought and direction, and a great amount of discipline. I've never come across someone like her, no. No, not at all.
2: Samantha seems to operate mainly by herself. But occasionally she needs to bring in supporting actors. And it turned out that's exactly what she had been doing during the Good Shepherd School scam. At the same time as she was pretending to be Harper Hart, she was also online, making friends with a French backpacker.
1: Yeah, well, we call her French Lucy. And this French backpacker met a girl in the Bondi area and she had befriended her. And this French Lucy had been approached by this girl and asked to do a favour for her. French Lucy is calling up the foster father and pretending to be from the United States Supreme Court saying that there's an immunity for a Harper Heart, which is about to run out, but we're going to extend it. And the foster father actually believes that.
0: When in fact, he's talking to French Lucy, who's also being used by Samantha. And then Samantha got French Lucy to pose as a doctor and give some unusual information to a teacher at the Good Shepherd School about a student called, you guessed it, Harper Hart. Uh,
1: She made the phone call allegedly calling the principal, um, stating she was a doctor and that uh, Harper Hart's been examined, in fact. She is a 13-year-old girl, her skeletal structure shows she's 13, she's not 28. Uh, that phone call was traced and it went back to French Lucy. So she was using this innocent agent to prop up one of her deception offences.
2: The last Lucy heard of her new friend was she had contracted tuberculosis and had gone into quarantine. Samantha as a party, has this ability to draw people in. Innocent agents, as Detective Aaron Power calls them. And she gets them to do wild things for her that they would never ordinarily do, bringing them into her very own wonderland. But for the real people left behind, like French Lucy, like Emily Bamberger, it's damaging. And we're about to get a real insight into how these supporting actors are used. At the beginning of this episode, you'll remember how Sharon had been invited to a meeting with someone at the end of a Facebook Messenger conversation and that it never happened. And all was quiet until a few days later, in early 2023, when Sharon got a call from an unknown woman on an unknown number, and things began to get a little bit wild.
0: I've just received a very strange call. She wanted to know whether I was in the city and whether I could meet her um, because she had some important documents she wanted to give me.
2: So Sharon called the woman back and began recording everything, partially for her own safety. Hello?
0: Hello, can I speak to
2: Yeah, this is her.
0: Could you just give me a bit more information about why you're contacting me?
2: Um, I can't really give you much more information
0: um uh... Well, how do you know my name, is the question.
2: Um I can't tell you that. I can't tell you how I got your name or your number, but uh, you're very hard to find. When Sharon had been in contact with Sam as a party on Facebook, they had exchanged phone numbers. We believe that's how this unknown woman got Sharon's number. What I need to give you is... Quite important, but I don't, uh, the information I go feel comfortable really talking to you
0: about, I guess, so. Okay, I guess the question is, why me? That's, I, I'd really like to know that before I kind of meet someone I don't even know.
3: Um, you'll know, you'll know once you receive what I need to give to
0: you. Right. Has it got anything to do with something that I might be working on at the moment?
5: Um, I'm not really sure. I know it's about uh, corruption. I can't really give you any other
0: information. Well, is it corruption, local corruption? Or is it... When you say, I've got to trust you, I don't even know who I'm trusting.
3: Yeah, no, I I understand. Like, I'm scared as well. It's the same for me.
2: Corruption, documents, furtive meetings, it's all gone a bit Hollywood. But it's an insight into how Samantha can create a very unnerving situation. Sharon arranges to meet the caller at a public location. I have arranged
0: to meet her tomorrow at the fish markets in Woiwoi um, at midday. Again, I don't know whether she'll be there or not. Very strange. I asked her what her identifiers would be if I met her tomorrow. And she said she'd be wearing a white top.
2: She had dark brown hair and so, the following day, Sharon makes her way to the Woi Woi fish market, meeting someone who we believe Samantha has sent to us. One of Samantha's innocent agents, as Detective Power calls them, supporting actors. So, I'm
0: driving through the bush at the moment, on my way to Woi Woi, fisherman's co I have no idea what to expect, and... Um, indeed, whether she'll ever turn up. But um, I guess we'll find out when we get there. The fish co-op at Woi is a favourite for locals and tourists alike. It's right on the water and the fish is freshly caught. And on Sundays it's crowded, which is why I've chosen it, because there's comfort in crowds and I'm a little on edge. I just don't know what to expect. Or who might be coming? And then there she is, looking just as she'd described, walking quickly towards me. I have my mobile phone recording in my bag. There's something else. So who sent you? It's a brief meeting. We're standing up. I'm trying to tell her she might be caught up in something. Somebody sent me to do this. I can't say anything else, but if you start that... All I'll say is that sometimes people get used to things that they don't know what they're
2: being used for, and I hope that's not happening to
0: you. And then it's over, and she quickly walks away. Okay, so I've just had the meeting with the mystery woman. She approached very quickly. Uh, She was dressed in what she said she'd be dressed in. She had shorts on very casually dressed, white shoes, and she was really nervous. Her voice was shaking quite a bit and um, her hands were shaking. And she walked up to me and started to put her hand in her pocket and I backed away a little bit because I wasn't quite sure what was going to come out. Anyway, then out of her pocket she, she pulled A little sort of screwed up post-it note Um, There's actually, I'm just opening it now, there's actually a little disc, a card that you put into one of those card readers. I tried to engage her in a conversation, but she didn't want to stick around, so she turned and hightailed it out of there, really. There was something about all of this, the whole feeling that she was being set up by somebody else um, to do this and who knows what story she'd been told. Um, I felt quite sorry for her. This feels very much like a fish story, doesn't it? The one that got away.
2: What story had Samantha spun this young woman? that persuaded her to travel over an hour outside Sydney to hand over what she seems to believe are sensitive documents about international corruption to a stranger in a fish co-op. Then, outside
0: the co-op, I get another call from her less than 10 minutes after the meeting. I just want to explain it a bit more. Yeah. Um, what I was giving to you was very sensitive, and I was, like, I might have looked a bit worried, um, only because I don't trust you, but you'll understand once you see it, so, yeah, I just wanted to say that to you, but... I was just trying to say to you, I hope that you're not getting caught up in something that you don't entirely understand, that's all.
2: Don't worry about me, that's all fine. I just, I just want to tell you that you'll understand when you
4: see what I gave to you.
2: Over the next few days, Sharon continues getting calls from this number. Just a quick update had a
0: series of strange phone calls from Mystery Woman today um, with lots of noise and stuff in the background and I couldn't hear her properly. And I got a little concerned that maybe they were trying to hack into my location. Uh, I'm probably going to stop taking these calls until I can get another phone operating because I'm really worried about Compromising my own phone and my security, so that's where we're at at the moment. Talk to you soon.
2: By now, it has all the makings of a bad spy drama, really. Clandestine meetings, the handover, secret parcels. And though we cannot absolutely prove it, we believe that all of these strange events are controlled and designed by Samantha as a party.
0: I cut all ties with the woman whose real identity I have no clue about. What I was concerned about most of all at this point was my security, both personal and of my electronic devices. There was no way that SD card was going anywhere near any of them. I enlisted the help of an IT friend, Stavros, who has deep knowledge of all things cyber, I feel I'm being pulled into some kind of vortex. And opening this card is the only way to find out what's really going on.
5: What I got was this, what would I call it? It's a a memory card, a micro SD memory card.
0: Right. And what are these used for?
5: Well, look, typically that is used for storing files on cameras or uh, mobile phones or portable recorders... Uh, it's just a very, very typical memory card. You should be extremely careful about putting um, unknown disks into your computer. But so we,
0: how do we work out what's on the Because we really want to see what's on this, hey? I
2: call Sharon while all of this is going on.
5: We want to keep this isolated and um, quarantined from any other system and from the internet so it can't call home, it can't activate anything. So what we're going to do is we're going to put this memory card in this tiny computer uh, and we're going to read it and see what's on it and then we have to be extremely careful how we get those files off without infecting any other system
2: and then we see what's inside that sd card um, that's
5: the system file so it looks like there's nothing on it nothing hang on let me double check i haven't marked this up i can't see anything on this disc okay so let me try this again. is a complete hoax is it
2: Really? Wow. Is there
5: absolutely nothing on it? No, I'm just double checking there's no hidden files.
0: We did think that there was a possibility this was a total ruse and that these things could be totally empty Um, as part of some sort of crazy game, like going down a rabbit hole. It's like Alice in Wonderland or something, you know? I'll scan the dish. But we don't find the Queen of Hearts.
2: But how bizarre to go to this amount of trouble to give you an empty card. It's just really strange. Next time on Finding Samantha. Samantha faces
0: her most serious charges to date. A serial fraudster is in trouble with the law again, this time charged with child stealing in Victoria.
2: We hear from a 12-year-old victim of Samantha's. It
4: was a bit, like, scary, and, like, the things that I was doing, I was a little bit weirded out, and I wanted to tell my parents, but I wasn't allowed.
2: And Samantha
0: dangles another hook in the water.
5: When she was talking about the blackmail stuff, I was very against that, and I, I was very against doing the drug smuggling and all those types of things.
2: Finding Samantha is written, recorded and produced by Sharon Davis in Australia and Tim Desmond and me, Nicolene Greer, in Ireland. Executive producer Liam O'Brien. Soundtrack composed by Paddy Flynn. Sound engineer is Damien Chanel. If you have any information or tips on this story, email us documentaries at rte.ie. For further information on the series, visit rte.ie forward slash finding samantha join us again in episode six i'm hurting but don't tell anyone no one needs to know don't show or you failed always okay always fine always on show the show must go on it will never stop the show must not go on but i know it will i give up i give up giving up i am lost I don't need to be saved, I need to be found.